Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, Campfire crew. Let's get it on. Emesis by Read the Seams I used to be an EMT. Worked 24-hour shifts, which had its perks. Slow days where you literally got paid to eat or sleep or read. Four days off every week, etc. It also had its downside. Getting out of bed to run a call at 1am or 3am sucks. Being sleep-deprived sucks. Getting calls that are way outside your scope or practice sucks. One time, I got the perfect combination of those three situations. I had run call after call with no downtime for some time in the early morning to about 1 a.m., just one of those really rare, super crazy days. Got back to the station, fell asleep immediately. 2 a.m. rolled around. 2 a.m. rolled around, and I'm paged for a call at a nursing home a bit down the road for trouble breathing, emesis. Note, emesis is a fancy word for puke. I'm so loopy from lack of sleep, I don't really mentally prepare for a call of that nature. Truthfully, I'm thinking either a nurse at the facility or the paramedics with the fire department will get the call before my partner and I. EMTs are bottom of the food chain in the country. I'm really expecting to walk in and find an elderly person a bit under the weather and maybe take them to the hospital if the staff or the patient thinks that it's serious. Anyway, I hop in the rig and we head over to the nursing home. We go through the motions of unloading the gurney, checking for a room number, etc. I headed down the hall and walked into the room just in time to see an elderly man, maybe in his 80s or 90s, sit straight up in his bed and explode black, greasy vomit all over the room. Not like one heave, either. This guy was spraying the shit everywhere. I was so caught off guard it took me a second to even react and get to him. As I was trying to assist the guy, suction the shit out of his mouth so he could breathe and get him on his side so he didn't choke, the black death is getting on my face, down my shirt, everywhere. He was fucking panicking and grabbing my arms and making the worst noises I've ever heard. It was fucking chaos. Coffee ground emesis occurs when a patient has a lower gastrointestinal bleed and the red color, I think the heme, has been digested by acid in the GI tract. This is a 911, lights and sirens, this shit is for real call. And the nursing home is called an independent, basic life support EMT company to handle it. Due to local scope of practice, I couldn't push drugs, I couldn't intubate, etc. I was a janitor trying to keep a dying man afloat. Amidst everything, I honestly remembered stopping for a few seconds and just staring at my partner and waiting to wake up because there's no fucking way that any of it could actually be happening. Honestly, I was thinking I was having a nightmare because of all the craziness of such a busy day. 
Fortunately, I was not asleep. Just as the guy totally fell out, the fire department came and took over. Due to patient confidentiality, I couldn't ever ask what the end result was, but I think I know how it ended. Mary by Anonymous I had a paramedic supervisor back in the 90s who had 20 years in EMS and had a reputation for being a tough guy with a big heart. One time, he told us a story that raised the hair on the back of my neck one day that I will never forget. In 1981, he was an EMT for a volunteer fire department in a New Hampshire farming community. In this town lived an elderly brother and sister along with an elderly cousin on a sprawling farm. They were very well liked by the townsfolk and they could offer a plot of their farmland to anyone for the asking with one simple rule. No matter what they grew, they had to donate one-third of their yield to area food banks. That was just one of the reasons why they were so beloved. As they got older, Mary, the sister, became frail with osteoporosis and was admitted to a nursing home. John, her brother, was left to look after the farm. One day, the cousin who lived nearby was unable to reach John by phone and became concerned. He went out to the farm and entered the house and discovered John in an upstairs bedroom, unconscious, suffering from a stroke. He immediately called 911. Word of trouble at the farm spread quickly, and soon the siren was blaring, notifying volunteers in the town. The town's police and BLS ambulance raced to the farm. An ambulance from an adjoining community was also dispatched, and my boss was one of the EMTs responding and was familiar with this family. When he arrived, he said he walked into the house and was told to hurry as CPR was underway. As he entered the front hall, on his left was a sitting room, and in the room he noticed an elderly woman sitting in a rocking chair smiling at him. He thought how happy and peaceful she looked, and it was a bit odd given what was going on. He then recognized her. It was Mary. They got John to the ambulance and transported him to the hospital where he was pronounced dead on arrival. As my boss was filling out his report at the nurse's station, he made a comment to one of the staff on how sad it was that it was Mary that was well enough to go home and then have John die like that. The staff member gave him a strange look and asked what he was talking about. My boss said how great Mary looked at the house. He was then informed that Mary had passed away the day before at the nursing home and couldn't possibly have been at the farm. Thinking he mistook someone else for Mary, he asked around about who the female was at the house. There were no females during the call. All the responders were male. He then described what she was wearing, including an oversized set of pearls and a pink flower dress to the staff. The dress was Mary's favorite, and he had no doubt that the pleasant elderly woman who gave him a warm smile was indeed Mary. Two days later, my boss and his then-girlfriend decided to attend the wake for John and Mary. It was a double wake and funeral, as Mary was the girlfriend's grade school teacher. As my boss walked into the funeral home, he gazed over the coffin holding Mary and nearly fainted. There was Mary, wearing exactly her favorite pink flowered dress and the oversized pearl necklace, exactly the ones she wore two days earlier at the farm. The Eyes by Kai I was on call the night before a full moon. 
I've always dreaded the full moon. I mean, nothing ever seems to go right, but the night before is usually okay. Maybe a couple of strange things, but nothing too bad. So when we got a call about an unusual smell coming from an elderly neighbor's apartment in a swanky high-rise in Midtown, I wasn't expecting anything out of the ordinary. It's unfortunate, but calls like this are relatively common. We arrived on scene around midnight to have the on-duty night manager let us into the apartment. It was about 90 degrees outside, even at this time of night, and we weren't surprised to find the smell worsen as soon as the door was opened. What we were surprised about was the living room. Everything was pink. Think 1950s retro pink. Pink furniture with wooden backs, plush pink carpet, and even white wallpaper with, you guessed it, delicate pink flowers. The wall across from the entrance had a gallery of collector's porcelain plates featuring kittens in front of flowers. It was all very Professor Umbridge. As we walked into the living room, things got even more strange. Blood was everywhere. But the amount of time the blood had been sitting caused oxidation, creating a black-on-pink canvas, suggesting a massacre, rather than a single elderly woman home alone. But it wasn't just the insane amounts of blood that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Dolls were everywhere. Porcelain dolls of Rhett Butler and Scarlett O'Hara in the prized green dress, Dolls of Elvis and John Wayne, Madame Alexander dolls, Barbies in their original boxes, and more. Every wall but the cat wall was filled with dolls, all of which had ever-watchful eyes. No matter where we moved, we couldn't escape. Could things get more strange? Yes, yes they could. Our patient was sitting contorted by rigor mortis in an uncomfortable-looking pink wingback chair. Her jaw was open, eyes wide, and dried black blood in a line down both of her wrists and scissors on the floor between the end table and the chair. This woman had clearly been there for a while. Because of the amount of blood we found at the scene, we checked the rest of the apartment, about 1,200 square feet of space, expecting to find more bodies. There was no way that this woman had splattered blood all over every single room of her home by herself. The hallway to the back rooms was lined with photos of dolls, and the three bedrooms were decorated with doilies, lace, and dolls. We couldn't get out from under the gaze of those unseeing eyes, no matter where we turned. In the master bathroom, we discovered what caused all the blood. A rusty hacksaw lay on the lip of the bathtub, with blood on every tooth. Upon further examination of the body, we discovered several horizontal cuts we assumed were made with the dull and rusty hacksaw. It appeared that she tried to slit her wrists in the bathroom, but the saw was too rusted and dull and she was dying too slowly, so she paced her house dripping blood until she decided to speed up the process with the scissors in her living room, among the watchful gaze of the dolls that appeared to be her only friends and family. I never discovered why this woman lived 80-plus years only to decide to commit suicide. We aren't allowed to follow up on our patients, but I will forever be haunted by the image of a two-pink house dotted with black blood and the contorted woman being watched by the dolls she left behind. My Hardest Day as a Paramedic by Anonymous my hardest day started at 6.10 a.m. one morning many years ago with a call out to an elderly man who was struggling to breathe. 
We arrived at a slightly neglected bungalow where a frail, elderly figure limped slowly to the door and greeted us with an apology. She didn't want to bother us. Her husband was slumped in the front room. I knew he wasn't well and he needed to go to the hospital. Mavis, the woman who answered the door, was visibly shaken on hearing that news, but she found solace in starting preparations for her beloved husband, Bert, to leave for the hospital. He needed clean pajamas and a toothbrush, and after finally rubbing his chin, he needed his razor, too. I gave Bert some oxygen and started to think that if we didn't get into the ambulance quickly, he would collapse. Mavis returned tearfully with her husband's belongings, and I talked to her to try to convey the seriousness and urgency of the situation. Bert was stoic in his responses, telling his wife he would be fine, but he was kind too, and reminded Mavis of how much he loved her. Mavis was proud. They'd been married for more than 60 years, she said, and she ambled away again. I looked around the room at faded photos of many generations of their family. Bert told me they're all dead now, even the son who died young. I talked with him and reassured him that we were going to the hospital soon. She's the love of my life, he said, between tiring breaths. There has never been anyone else. I remember his soft, slow words perfectly and the telling look in his eyes. He knew he wasn't coming home again. I worried that we were taking too long, that Bert needed to be in the hospital quickly. I didn't want him to die in my ambulance. Mavis was elderly and frail herself, and going with her husband to the hospital wasn't an option. I was worried that there would be no one to come to help her when we were gone, but my haste to get Bert out the door into the hospital was abruptly subdued by the realization that that was most probably their final moment together. They were about to say goodbye to each other for the last time. I tried to convey the gravity of the situation to Mavis, and I think she finally understood when her eyes filled up. She limped back towards Bert, who was still protesting to her that he'd be fine. Her hands cupped his cheeks as her small, stooped frame leaned towards him to give him a kiss. I paused momentarily, trying to be invisible, and then asked quietly if we could go. Mavis delicately flattened Bert's hair to one side of his head, smiled at me, and nodded. I asked Bert if he was okay, and he smiled and nodded too. Bert died later that day, and I spent a lot of time wondering what happened to Mavis. I knew that I had cared for Bert and looked after him well, but I had deserted Mavis. I mean, I left her all alone. I toyed with the idea of visiting her to check up on her. I mean, that felt right in many ways, but wrong in others too. I didn't know what to do. I had prioritized Bert's care, but in doing so neglected what Mavis needed. I was left feeling that I had failed her in many ways. When thinking about my answer to the what's the worst thing you've ever seen question, it didn't take me long to remember this job, even though it happened many years ago. It's the job that I most agonized over. It's the job that stayed with me for the longest time after it was over. You might think it can't be the worst thing I've ever seen but it is definitely the worst thing I've ever felt. I never did go back and check on Mavis. Hey gang, thanks for listening to this episode of Uncle Josh's True Scary Stories. If you have a true scary story of any nature that you'd like to hear narrated on my podcast or this channel, email UncleJoshTrueScaryStories at gmail.com. I read them all. 
If you haven't already, please like, share, and subscribe to my channel, and hit that notification button for every time I upload. And be sure to follow me on social media, all the links to that are in the description below. If you'd like to take your support a step further, you can also find me on Patreon. A link to that is in the description below as well. Everyone, be excellent to each other. And until next time, be wary of things that go bump in the night. It could be anything. A ghost, a monster, or the guy next door. It was about 90 degrees up. Jeez. Fuck. Scary paramedic stories in the rain. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.